what I'm saying might be the worst heat ever surfed. He started off with a good wave and then basically proceeded to take off on bad wave after bad wave where Haliva, as we know, is a spot where there's pretty much one strategy and it's to not go on the first wave of the set. Welcome to The Drop, a STAB podcast. My name is Danny Johnson. And this week on the show, we've got STAB Cusp, Mikey and Stace. And what might be peak STAB Cusp? The first ever Challenger Series is just wrapped. Next year's list of tour surfers has been decided. And we've got a bright new star that has officially landed in Betty Lusakura. So this might actually be the peak of both Stace and Mikey's life. I can't imagine them happier. I mean, it's just like winning lotto on christmas day for those guys just a real chemical free ecstasy that they must both be experiencing right now but first let's catch up on this week in surfing with stabs editor big dick well slightly smaller dick because of the cold water power surfer mr brandon buckley and we're back we're back on other sides of the time scale right now i'm in the morning you're at night we normally do the opposite how do you feel about do it? Do we flip it now? Now I have the wine and you have the coffee? That's right. The beverages of, are charged in opposite directions. You'll be asleep halfway through. I'll just be peaking. Here we go. I'm ready for the ride. You're fresh back from Switzerland. You've, you've gone over and we talked about it last week. You made a comeback to competition. You've got, what, 10 years out of the game and now you're, you're back competing in a, in a wave pool of all things that you've never surfed in. You know what, let's just, let's get straight into it. Let's go. I'm ready. I'm ready to break it down for you, Danny. All right, let's do it. Stab's editor-in-chief slash pirate in general takes on international field of elite surfers in horse meat eating Switzerland. And so this is my weekend, Danny. I took, there's a field of elite surfers, international elite surfers, and I went up there to Switzerland. I took them on. You're pretty stressed in the lead up. I want to say you were taking this. You were taking this return to competition pretty seriously. Can you talk me through the? Can you just talk me through the whole thing? Take it from the top, Buck. Okay. Well, I'm just gonna right away reference the fact that I've written a story on it on Stab Premium, and the story kind of begins with me sleeping terribly the night before the heat. My first heat was in the morning, and kind of play it up like it might be because. I was nervous, but in reality, I had eaten a lot of cheese. Like, I don't eat that much dairy, oh, no. but I went hard on this fondue the night before. Cheese dreams. And I woke up in the middle of the night, oh, like, like heart racing, sweating everywhere. I leave this jungle every night. How? Through the dreams that come with cheese. Hmm. I'm skiing in France. I'm flying a boat. I'm turning tricks in Chad. Cheese dreams. I'm off my ever-loving tits. My friend even warned me. He'd been to Switzerland a bunch, and he warned me, like, don't eat a fondue before you, you're going to sleep terribly. And he was right. But I ate the fondue anyway. Cheese is a kind of meat. A tasty yellow beef. Ooh, cheese. Ooh, cheese. And just kind of showed up to the contest next morning. I had two sessions before, like two sessions the day before to kind of warm up. And so it was my first time in a wave pool, but I got to kind of know it a bit. So 
you get 12 waves. So I wasn't nervous in my heat at all. I was like, this is just go out there and have fun. Yeah. So really I, I was nervous leading up to it just cause I don't know. I didn't want, I didn't want to have a complete meltdown, like a fucking breakdown and just not be able to surf at all <laughs> during it, which I guess might happen to some people, but, um, that didn't happen. I, I surfed, I did the heat and it went well ish. <laughs> so you only surfed one heat? No, no. So I surfed my heat. And so basically you had, it was like a big qualifying round where you got to pick your side left or right. And then you have an hour, you get like 10 or 12 waves. They take your top two. I went to left obviously because fuck going right ever, especially not in a controlled environment. Um, and I got like two high sevens. Oh, I was just like, yeah, that's what do they call that on the scale? That's not excellent, but it's just below. It's good. No, that's what pissed me off. I was almost in that excellent range. I think I was just good. And I was like, oh, I should just have one eight. I guess like, I guess I was right there knocking on excellence's door, <laughs> but I couldn't quite creep it open. <laughs> knock, knock, knocking on excellence's door. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, so it's like, it's, they have different settings, but like the, the wave, at least in the qualifying thing, wasn't that big. And I just kind of found like you could do a turn and I kind of found like this steep section that I could do a little air off of, kind of like mid wave. And so I was just doing that. I think I did like a little straight air and a little like, oh, I don't know if you'd call it an alley-oop. It was kind of a chop hop disguise as one, but these, these Swiss people, they ate it up. They loved it. <laughs> They ate it up like horse meat. Was there and so? <laughs> was there an audience there? Were you, was there some applause when you when you'd stick a landing? There was an audience, but it was fucking freezing. It was snowing everywhere, and the indoor zone there is awesome. So it's not like you'd hear like applause really or people freaking out because like people are watching, but they're kind of in this like big glass building. They still had like speakers going and a few people kind of checking it out, but like it wasn't like a full crowd. It's crowded, but just not nobody like that you could hear from the from the water. Especially you had a hood on too, so like you'd hardly hear anything. You'd have to like pull it off. And it's Swiss commentary. It was English, and I think some French. Four point two three, Brendan Buckley three point five, and on the right hand side, Marseille. It was a part of Switzerland where they were speaking French. Yeah, they speak four languages there, right? Yeah, and eat horse. They're so advanced. Yeah, they eat horse. Yeah. They, they're beautiful. They're skinny. They keep, they keep time. They, yeah, they're great at keeping time. They have a high standard of living. They have clean air, high salaries. They all win Nobel Prizes, Buck, every one of them. All of them, huh? Well, there's, what, there's only like 10 of them, so fucking <laughs> big whoop. It's not that big of a country. It was pretty funny with the timekeeping thing. Like I was, I was almost nervous to hear that people are like pretty, just like runs like a machine up there, and like you know they're like your heats at eight. Like you got to get there forty minutes in advance, and I'm like running a bit late, and I'm like, are they just gonna block me out because I'm like gonna be five minutes late? And that wasn't the case at all. They were keeping time, but uh, it wasn't as as you know over the top as I thought it might be. They weren't militant watch wearers that just pointing to their watch every five seconds. No, I mean, there's nothing too militant up there. Think about the last two world wars. It's not, it's not <laughs> what they do. Uh, so yeah, anyway, let's not move past my 15-point heat total, by the way. Can we get back to that? Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. I was yes. knocking on excellence's door. 
I finished like the qualifying round. It wasn't like, you know, you served a heat with like six people, I think, but you're not against them. It's just like a leaderboard at the end of the day because there's like 100 people in it. And so that put me in 11th. Not bad. And the top 16, yeah, top 16 went to the quarters of the final day. And I, when we talked about it last week too, I guess I was kind of nervous that I would just lose to like people that deep down I thought I was definitely better at surfing them. But when I got there, it was actually like a lot of good surfers there. It was like people showed up from all around Europe. And so I think when I made this like top 16 cut, <laughs> I kind of like snuck through. I think on the men's side, I was like, the only person that wasn't like a sponsored surfer to get in there. Oh my God. This is like a, a real story that people can get behind now. An underdog coming in, making his return to competition. It's like Rocky 8 or whatever Rocky that was. No, it's got nothing like that. It's sort of like the Jamaican bobsled movie maybe. I don't know what it is, Buck, but it's, an, it's a real... I think, I think Jamaican bobsled's more fitting because the one thing that like really became apparent when it was like quarterfinal time is like I was riding this just dumb fuck 5.0 quad that I've had for like five years. And when it came time for the quarters and it was like all these good surfers, like everybody was on little shortboard, just surfing the wave much differently from guy doing chop ops disguised as, as alley-oops and ollies and whatever. <laughs> um, and so suddenly like, and I think it really, added the aesthetic that this thing was like super old i still love it, it still has pop but it uh just this weird guy on a 5-0 and a bunch of pointy stickered up boards and i think the i think the cool runnings thing is a little bit more fitting so you're riding your boards just really different what else is going on for you in terms of st- sticking out as a as an oddball uh well the morning of the quarterfinals they like I don't think they had your name on the jersey, but you definitely had a number. They just made it easier for like the judges to track and everything. And they like really made it clear both on like the briefing before the first day. And then we had another briefing for like the people who are moving on to the final day. Like, don't lose your fucking jersey. Bring your jersey. Don't be an idiot. Don't lose the jersey. I lost the jersey. (laughs) (laughs) Did you say? To answer your question, that that probably made me stick out a bit too. Oh no! So what did they do? Did they, did they have backup jerseys? No, I mean the the comp ones, the official ones were like white and blue, and so they found this like white Roxy jersey that I wore. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. Oh, and then so yeah, then I was like an official quarterfinalist. I was like, okay, well, I'm I'm still gonna give it my best, you know. Format changed, and it was you get four lefts, four rights. Your best score from each counts, and I'm like, okay, left. You know, I know what to do here. The right, I hate going right. I've never been a wave fool before. Never been right in a wave fool. Then obviously, like, ah, oh, fuck. Like, here's all the excuses here. He's all the yeah. caveats. No, no, we'll, we'll get there. We'll get there. So left, like, they took away my air section on left, too. They, like, changed the settings. I didn't have that, like, little middle steep section. So I had to kind of rely on turns, which, like, wasn't my, wasn't my hope going into it. But I still got, like, a five there. And then it came time for the right and, like, four waves. So first two, I'm, like, trying turns and just, like, a weird 5-0 quad backside just doesn't go well. 
And I start to think, I'm like, you know what? Maybe if I do a shove it, the judges will get real confused and they just won't, like the comp's moving fast and they won't even think. It'll just, I, I don't know, give me a, like, a score that allowed me to keep my dignity. And so my third wave, I just like neglect the first section. I just kind of stall and I wait and I try to do a shove it on the steepest part. And I do, I pull it off and they scored my wave a three. Yeah. Well, so this is the wave that I saw. This is the wave you sent through and you you bang it a couple of times and then you've got this ah, end ah. section. Oh, am I jumping the you, gun? You, you jump the gun because they give me the three on the on the, just the straight shove, which is a bit... It still didn't like, you know, I didn't get like high off the wave or anything. It was hardly, it was still kind of like a chop up, but um, they give that three and I'm like, okay, clearly these people don't want to see a shove it, but I've won one wave left. They have no choice. They're getting another shove it. Like, I don't care what you're cl- making it clear. You don't want to see it. I don't care. I'm going to give you another one. And so my last wave, last chance, I do some turns and then the shove it. And I'm like, surely this would kind of put me in a higher standing with him. Somehow it was lower. I think I got 2.86 for that. So that's, I don't think it helped. Like a, so that's the one I saw. That's the one you saw. I got like a 2.86. I think by the end, like on the left, I was doing like front flip dismounts. Like I just finished a wave and kind of do a front flip off my board, just trying to get some extra points out of that. I think they just had enough of me. I think they just wanted me fucking gone. <laughs> this guy that didn't remember to bring his rashi, who smells like cheese, who is just making a mockery of this whole thing. I think that's exactly what happened, Buck. I really just think they had enough of me. And what I didn't realize until after the heat was that it was a heat. Like, it was four people in it. And I thought it was just like the other one where it was like a leaderboard. Oh, no. It was a wave. Well, I thought it was a leaderboard. It was a pretty winnable heat. Oh, Like, I think fuck. I lost by like, I could have got... I got fourth. I could have gotten to second with like, I think like 2.5 extra points or something like that. Oh my goodness. And so I was like, oh, if I just like got a little bit better of a wave on the left, I don't know what else I could have done on the right. Like that for a 5-0, 32-year-old man was like the best I could give them was the 2.86. But um, by that time, like I went into it thinking like, oh, maybe there's a chance I could actually, you know, make some money. It was like, you make money if there's top three. I realized quickly there's no fucking chance of that. There was definitely more than three people there that I had no chance at all against. I'm outraged at that score. Uh, and I think if any, anyone who saw the the pop shove that you, you threw down would be as well. But, I mean, what can we do, these Swiss judges, that you've clearly alienated yourself from the pack, uh, dressing in cross-dress, uh, doing, doing front flips, it, Maybe we just it's, we'll chalk it up to experience, Buck, and we know how to approach it next time. Yeah, I think so. I I put the clips in the post. The post is going live shortly here. Actually, when this goes live, it'll be out there. So if you want to see a 32-year-old man, uh, visually impaired man, doing small shovets at a wave pool, I highly recommend checking that out. Best wetsuits of 2021. This is a video that's coming at you right before the cutoff comes, which is 2022 is coming up, folks. It's it's creeping up on you. We've only got a few more weeks, but Mikey CRML's best wetsuit series. We've got the 2021 installment. Hi, I'm Mike. And I'm Corey. And, and this, this is Stab's, Stab's best, best wetsuits, wetsuits of 2021. 2021. 
at a great time if you live in the northern hemisphere with me and they're starting to get real cold right now. Maybe you've got a storm called Barra hitting you, throwing hail at you. It's very mean, rude, all that. Maybe you want a new wetsuit. Mikey C's got you covered. He's going to tell you what's the best rubber you can get your hands on. Yeah, and even if you don't need a new wetsuit, even if you live in the Bahamas and you just have zero need for a wetsuit, I feel like this this thing is still worth watching. I'm always so blown away at the amount of effort Mikey Saramella, who you remember from the cusp, will know well from the cusp and all these stab appearances. He just puts the level of detail that he goes to to test wetsuits and then how entertaining the videos are. It's... It's pretty mind blowing. I don't even care about wetsuits, and I could I can watch these things quite happily. You know, let's be honest, it can be boring. And he does a good job at like finding these creative ways to test a wetsuit. Really, yeah. Like he he weighs it like it's a goddamn great white shark in Jaws <laughs> when they catch the thing. <laughs> yeah, he weighs it wet, dry. They get inside a cryogenic freezer with the wet wetsuits on to test them. He was having ice baths in them last year. They do a speed test of how long it takes to put them on and take them off. That stuff is actually super useful to know. And this edition is the first one we're actually testing the women's wetsuits as well. So the amount of effort that has gone into this thing and then how well it's packaged up is pretty goddamn impressive. On one hand, it is. On the other hand, I, I just feel like like yours... It's just another guy who's not a pro surfer who's somehow managed to live the pro surf dream. Look, I got a taste of, of being a wetsuit test pilot in my days at Quicksilver, and it is it's truly a dream. Like, I'm going to just I'm gonna do one of those things where, like, I know that my friend Tom doesn't listen, but it's like when somebody gives their grandma a shout-out on Instagram, it's like, fuck you, your grandma's not on Instagram. Shout-out <laughs> Tom at Quicksilver. <laughs> He's not going to listen, but he gives me a lot of suits and he always asks for feedback. And I've got like, I got a great suits right now and he does great work. And so they do, I've seen what he does, has done with their wetsuit program. And he's really like made so much, he's made the suits so much better. They're great now. Oh, and, that's um, amazing. So you're, you're sitting on a huge quiver of wetsuits. Cause I was thinking, oh. I was thinking when I was watching this thing, Mikey does this every year, 10 wetsuits plus every single year. I'm sure he... He pisses in all of them like like a little bull terrier puppy just so that he can mark his territory and not have to give them back to anyone. He must open his closet and have like a Superman-style array of just the exact same looking suit uh, and just have hundreds of them in there. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking pretty good too and that's a benefit of Tom not listening to this is that he won't know because I have to always kind of imply some sort of scarcity. Like I'm like, oh, well, you know... Winter's coming up and he just somehow forgets that he gave me three suits last year. <laughs> That's great. There's something about wetsuits that I've always been just sitting around waiting to be invented that I don't know if it ever will. And I was watching the wetsuit test hoping that there'd be a brand new suit out this year that has this invention. But let me know what you think of this. We were talking about pissing in wetties last episode or urinating in a wetsuit for the learned doctors out there. Very scientific, yeah. And I just want to know, will someone invent a wetsuit with a one-way valve in the crutch area where urine can escape and so that it doesn't like just turn into a steam bath of your own piss? Is that possible? And I don't know how it would work exactly. Obviously, it would probably be men only. I don't know. It would be more tricky with, with female anatomy. 
and obviously you could risk getting your dick bitten off by a shark depending on the design. But is that ever going to come into our lives, Buck? Why would you want it to? Part of the whole thing is you get you you do it for the bath. You do it to for the warmth. The wetty warmer, but sometimes when you have a high coffee, low water diet and you you actually piss radioactive acid, sometimes you just you, you don't want to have that smell on you after the surf. And wetsuit design's gotten so good now that they're carpeted and sealed that it just doesn't go anywhere. So I don't know. It's it could it'd be a nice option, Buck. I'll let you work on that. You know, I know that Tom Mori's spirit is still flowing through you and you got the inventor mindset, but I'm out. If this is Shark Tank, I'm I'm out. Oh um, man. I wanna feel it. I wanna bathe in it. Right. I wanna be warm. Gross. Omicron. <laughs> there's no way as I say it. <laughs> Omicron is crushing one South African server's lifelong dreams. So if you've been following the news at all, you know that Omicron is the new model from Slater Designs and Tomo. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's got nine fins, four channels. Uh, it's, it comes in 4.7 or 4.3. And uh, this South African surfer is having a hard time with it. Yeah, it's super contagious. Soon everyone will be riding one of those boards. This is a real story, actually, about a COVID variant. And we have a little note from the author of a story that was written for us, Craig Jarvis here, to explain what's going on down there in South Africa. All right, let's hear it from Craig. A little bit of interest in my story on uh, Omicron variant and South African surfers in a bit of a, a, bit of a bind right now. Um, so let's just, uh, let's just clarify what, what's going on at the moment. We've got restrictions on travel all over the, the world. We've got four surfers. Uh, we've got Jordi, who's got it under control. He's gonna go to Costa Rica and then get across to Hawaii in time for, for the Billabong Pro Pop. Uh, we've got Twiggy across in, he's been, he's up in the Northern Hemisphere. He goes there every year for five months and he's there and he's in control. He can get across to the events in Hawaii or he can surf at Nazare. The event in a way that uh, Quicksilver Jaws challenge, and he's also invited into the Car. Matt McGillivray is undecided. He's stuck in a way right now. He's got to. He's going to run out of visa quite soon. He's going to run out of visa before PAP. He's the first alternative for PAP. He's got to make a decision, getting out of Hawaii and then getting back in and hoping to get a slot in PAP at the event, or otherwise going home and surfing in the Belita Pro which is on in December. Right now it's on, we still are getting events. Um, government events are being canceled left, right and center. We have parties canceled, the Rage Festival's canceled, but for now the surf event is still on. And then Matt Bromley, he's got to make a decision. He's in Komiki. Biggest opportunity of his life is being invited into Jaws and invited into the Eddy. But he's got a a five-month-old baby and he doesn't want to just leave his family and go hang out in Hawaii hoping for a swell so he's trying to make a decision I don't know what it's based on I mean you can't really forecast weeks in advance but if they were to call it on he won't have enough time to get there so he's got to make a bit more of a deeper decision about it about wanting to compete um, yeah it's, it's a bummer South Africans didn't really deserve all the shit to land on their heads 
uh, we didn't, we've had quite a rough time as it is over COVID uh, the whole way through. And now the whole world turned against us and it's uh, individuals like these four determined surfers who are going to suffer. I hope that we get some changes from the politicians and making rash decisions left, right and center. But as you know, politics turns slowly. So Matt McGillivray and Matt Bromley need to make quick decisions and get going. I think they should, um, I personally think they should both start moving to get to Hawaii in time in case they get a slot in those events. I mean, you've got to be in it to win it. If you're not there, you can't get your slot. So that would be my call. Don't know what everyone else thinks. I mean, it's also cool to be home with your family, but these guys are pros, they're professional surfers. Uh, it's their career, so they should be doing whatever they can to be at the event, no matter what. That's my opinion. Thanks. Yeah, so that sounds pretty fucked. I mean, my understanding of it is that it didn't, like, start there. South African scientists just discovered it first, and now the whole world is being like, you guys fucked up, and they're punishing them with travel restrictions? Like, Yeah, it's really bizarre. I remember hearing from the South African health minister when it first came out about all these global bans for South Africa. And he was like, this is not justified. And I was like, mate, it's nothing personal, but you guys are riddled with this new thing. And then it turns out, yeah, it was already everywhere. And they're just way more sophisticated with their ability to, to detect infectious diseases because of what they've been through in the past in that country. So yeah, unfairly punished for good science. Yeah, yeah, it's a shame. And Craig talked about it, but Jordy... It affects him and his ability to get to Hawaii. He'll still get there for Pipe Masters in time for the start of the 2022 season. But he'll have to go through Costa Rica. I guess Costa Rica still lets South Africans in. So he'll have to go through there and spend two weeks before he can jump over to the U.S. in the form of Hawaii. No, but Co- Costa Rica is a beautiful country with great waves, but not exactly the ultimate training ground for the Hawaiian season. Yeah, it's not ideal, but... The the hardest thing about that, like Craig said, is just this Matt Bromley who has been pushing so hard in big waves for so long and then out of the blue this year gets an invite to the Eddy and the Jaws Invitational. Like he said he didn't even know, it just just showed up. They just he read the news like anybody else was like, Fuck, my name's on there. Oh no way. And now yeah, and now he's trying to get to South Africa or from South Africa to places where he's not legally allowed to travel, having to deal with this two week quarantine or this two-week Costa Rica thing where it's just impossible to try to track a big swell that far out and he has a five-month-old baby so he's like stuck in between like taking a risk and trying to go at the hint of a swell three weeks prior or it's it's a bummer for him so complicated down there yeah that's devastating nine fins (laughs) yeah 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 it'd be so slow but so grippy very grippy Italo Ferreira, also named GQ Man of the Year. Who's next? So for our dedicated listeners, this is a bit of a follow-up story. Uh, last week we announced that Kanoe Igarashi had won. He became not, I guess he didn't win. He was one of the GQ Men of the Year for Japan. Italo Ferreira took it out for Brazil. And I just wanted to ask you, Danny, is he manly enough? For this award, do you think? Is he, does, he, does he check the box for you? Well, I mean, for anyone who hasn't seen it, Idolo, he's on the front cover. 
He's wearing another extremely fancy hairdo, hair extensions. He's staring down the camera, looking extremely manly. He's wearing a very high-end, fancy, shiny suit. And so, yeah, I'm going to say he's definitely manly. Uh, I don't know what's so manly about about the the concept of the photo, though. That was something that confused me because in the bottom of the frame, he's frying an egg. He's just recently cracked an an egg, and it's it's at the moment the photo's taken. It's uncooked. Can we get into the concept of that, Buck? I mean, do you ever get hungry? Do people need to eat? I don't know. I'm 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 looking deeper. I think there was there was some deep symbolism at play here. I mean, eggs are typically, they're a symbol of new life, rebirth, reinvention. I don't know. Like, what is going on with that, with that concept with Italo? I mean, he's reinventing himself every five minutes if you, if you follow his hairstyles and, and just everything that's going on in his Instagram account. I, maybe Gabe Medina's inspired him a bit. Gabe Medina is said to have reinvented himself this year. Mm. You know, maybe it is a year for rebirth, renaissance. Yeah. As we say over here in the sophisticated part of the world, Daniel. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, he's just the word birth in general, I imagine. Italo, while he doesn't have any kids yet, he does drink 600 coffees a day and I'm sure he's got the speediest sperm in all of Brazil. So if he did want to make a child, if that egg was going to symbolize human life, I don't know. But it is a cracked yolk. I went deep on this, Buck. It's a cracked yolk. What does that mean? Is that yoke Kanoa Igarashi's heart or something? You know, before the, the Surf Ranch Pro this year, I was in California and I went and I sat down with a psychic and I showed her a bunch of photos of people that would be competing in the contest, including Italo. And based on her reaction, we talked about you. She, she wouldn't give me a straight up winner because I wanted to bet it heavy, but that wouldn't happen. She said she wasn't that type of... Oh. Well, a, a psychic didn't give any very definite and defined predictions. Everything was a little bit vague and interpretive. Yeah, but okay, this lady was, she, she had a PhD in chemistry. She was impressive. I was kind of oh. afraid of her. I was afraid she'd see the, the darkness of my heart. Um, and she was kind of breaking down Italo on a spiritual level. She said she's got, he's got a bit of a bad boy in him. Anyway, oh, I bet him to win I, the Surf Ranch Pro because she said something weird about that. And she was talking about like some new energy type thing, I think. Uh, mm. But isn't that what they always say about every fucking psychic thing? They're just like, oh, new energy. Ooh. It's like, oh, okay. What do you oh, mean? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Don't try and pin them down, even if they do have a science degree, because that is a house of cards resting on top of a, a big old pile of bullshit, Buck. We have some big things coming on Sad Premium. Next week on Tuesday, we have a Mikey February film that was made by Dan Reynolds. Keep an eye out for that. I've seen it. I don't want to give away too much now, but you're going to love it. I don't know who you are, but you listening right now, driving your car, it's a nice car, isn't it new? You went for the leather seats, did you? Very good. You're a classy person. You're going to love it. Um, Dan's going to love it too. We're all going to love it. We also have a stab in the dark, big announcement coming. Basically, we're in the process of filming this right now, and we are going to tell the premium members who the surfer is. Um, they'll probably proceed to tell the general public who the surfer is. But 
you guys are going to hear it first on a premium. So look out for that. That's coming in the next few days. Mikey Feb film coming next Tuesday. We got a lot going on. Come. Be a part of it all. Dance with us. Yeah, it's exciting times, Buck. Stab in the Dark is obviously a, a very... It's like it's like Christmas. It comes around yearly and, and it's it's a great present for us all. It is a great present. I hate that you guys have Christmas and it's not cold. Christmas I, I associate so much with just with the cold and you guys just wear board shorts and you call sandals thongs. You walk around thinking it's Christmas time. Is this some sort of hemisphere discrimination, Buck? Okay, the whole world is discriminated against your hemisphere. Nothing, nothing happens down there. What do you guys do? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I, I, yeah, I guess the bottom half of the world isn't, isn't, isn't really that productive, is it? I mean, we win a lot of world titles because we got Brazil. Yeah, part of Brazil. We got part in the north too, I think. Mm, I think you need to look at a map. Or do I need to look at a map? I don't know. We need to consult the map somewhere along here. But I can say after spending five years at a major surf brand, it was almost comical how much the Southern Hemisphere was neglected. Like even leading to this, you know, talking about like a lot of surf brands are going hard in wetsuits right now and all this shit. Like it'd just be like, oh, Australia's doing a board short campaign. That's cute. And just the whole global team would just kind of laugh at the, the efforts of that were focused on the Southern Hemisphere. So yeah, no, you're kind of like a forgotten... <laughs> what is up, North or South? Just think about it that way. You guys are literally at the bottom. <laughs> I didn't make the map. I'm not a cartologist or whatever they call them. Cartographer. God damn, I can't even argue with that. It's hard to be fucking defending from down here with these punches getting thrown down upon us. I, I don't know, even know how to claw our way out of this. What have we got that's good? I mean, we got the Omicron started here in South Africa. We got, <laughs> what else have we got? I mean, Argentina, no one cares about Argentina. And that's about it. Did we get to the bottom of the hemisphere debate? Do, do I have a little tip of Brazil up in the north? Yeah, yeah. So we do have a tip that's in the, in the north. Apologies. It's not where any world champion service surf, comes no, no, from. Cer- <laughs> certainly not, but... Yeah, it's fair. fair. You, you, you just, just a tip, Buck. Just a tip. Ah, <laughs> oh, just a tip. Just see how it feels, Danny. My understanding is that we have a very special surf sin this week. We have a longtime listener named Danny, who's gonna come on air right now and confess. Yeah, I said I would do a surf scene a little while back, and then I think we just forgot because we had so many great ones in the bag. But I think it's time, Buck. I love people that submit surf sins, people that are willing to admit their mistakes publicly and be vulnerable and then accept the penance and heal and grow, move forwards to be better people for the benefit of the entire world. So I think it's my turn and yeah, are you ready to hear my surf scene? I'm ready. I, I am ready, Danny. It's time to commence your healing journey. So this one actually starts way back. I was about 13 and I was at school and one of my friends asked me if I wanted to go on a Christian surfers camp. And I was like, Christian surfers, like, what is that? Do they teach about Jesus? I was a little bit freaked out because I thought Christians were a bit weird and creepy. But what I didn't actually know at the time was that I actually was a Christian because I grew up 
Catholic. I went to a Catholic school and Catholicism is actually a denomination of Christianity. So turns out I was already a Christian. I didn't think they were the same. I, I knew they were related. Yeah, it's a denomination. So it's effectively part of the one big parcel. But I, I mean, I just didn't know how Catholics found the time to focus on all this Jesus stuff when there's, there's so many young boys to have sex with. Yeah, it's hard. It confused me because my friend was like the naughtiest friend I had. He definitely wasn't a Christian and still hasn't become one. I guess he might still, but he was like the one with like the fun parents that you could smoke bongs in front of his folks and drink and all those sort of things. And they were like totally down. Anyway, so he, he reassured me. He's like, no, 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 it's got nothing to do with Christianity. You just camp and surf and the Christian guys, they're legends, like whatever. He'd done it before. So I was in. We're there for like three or four days. And then on the second day, I learned one of the greatest things a young boy can learn, which is that if you throw a can of baked beans in a fire, it, it explodes. Have you ever done that, Buck? No. Is it only baked beans? Can you throw a can of anything? Or is it I'm beans pretty sure magic, it has to be baked beans. Property? The magic fruit, it has to be baked beans. Like everyone else had done it before, but I was just thinking this was the greatest thing that's ever happened. It's pretty funny. And so everyone kind of got over it, but I was still pretty into it. And I had this one mammoth can of baked beans. It was like four times the size, maybe even bigger. It was just this giant, giant tin. I decided to chuck that in the fire, but I didn't tell anyone. Just chucked it in for my own amusement. But it was such a big can that it was just taking so long to heat up to get to explosion point. So my naughty friend wanted to go smoke some cigarettes down the beach. And so I went with him, completely forgetting about the can and we'd, down the beach for like five minutes or something. And then I just hear this like, boom, (laughs) like a big explosion, you know, like bigger than the the other ones, a lot bigger. And we go back up there and there's like screaming and yelling. And this one guy in particular just like completely flipped his lid. He just lost his mind. The baked bean can had just exploded all over his stuff. So he had holes in his steamer, uh, his tent had all holes burnt in it, his board bag, he, he was livid and he was just escalating more and more and more and he was just pacing around screaming and I was obviously feeling horrendous and freaked out that I was going to get found out. And it, he ended up being taken away by the Christian guys that were running the camp and his parents had to come and pick him up early. His camp was over. He had such a meltdown. Anyway, the camp continues on and they feel like shit. And then on the last night, they gather everyone together. And we're just about to catch the bus home. And I should have known this is coming because no one, no one takes young kids away camping with an, a zero agenda. Like this part at the end of the trip where they give us a big talk is when they were going to try and trick us into becoming Christians, which I already was. So, you know, I was safe. But got during the... I got, <laughs> I got you. Him. Yeah. So you guys coming a mile away. And so the talk goes on and he brings up the baked bean and incident and he's just... He's just hammering it and he's, he's saying, oh, now there's someone here who feels really bad and they feel they can't, they might not have admitted it, but they can't escape themselves. And he's just like layering on this typical religious guilt that they all tend to specialize in, just rinsing me. And to this day, other than my naughty friend, I've never, I've never shared that story. I never saw the guy again, but I've always felt pretty horrible by it. Wow. There's a lot to unpack there, Danny. There's a lot to unpack. Uh, first of all, I'm not not sold on the idea that God put you there as a test to make them better Christians. <laughs> oh, divine intervention. I think they call that, Buck. 
you're just trying to test them, right? That's what it's all about. That's what you say when there's a challenge and it's religious. Like, well, it's just a test and you got to prove yourself to the test. And so I was thinking about that a bit. I love how it's just surf related enough. Like it just wouldn't be a surf sin if, if you were at a Christian camp in the mountains. Like, this is my first time healing on the fly, but I do have another question just to help me settle on my uh, penance here. The other cans that you threw in, did people get a kick out of them? Was it a thing that was uh, entertaining for for people beyond just you at a certain oh, point? Oh, yeah. They taught, they taught me. We were all throwing cans in the fire. Okay. so S- Considerably smaller cans. <laughs> so your heart was in the right place. You know, you're just trying to make everybody have more fun. And so my penance, Danny, is... And this is doable for you. It's going to take a little while to have this happen, but you need to link up with Christian Fletcher um, (laughs) and light off fireworks of some sort. Nothing like big illegal. You don't have to put on a big show, but like just track down, you know, a little firework that just like one goes up in a neighborhood. You need to link up with Christian Fletcher and uh, shoot one off. And that way in a safe environment where nobody's getting hurt, no property is damaged. Everything's good. People are happy. And because your heart was in the right place, that's all you wanted to do here. Um, and so I think you need to heal your bond with Christians. And um, that's the way to do it. That's how you. You know what? I really like that. I've met Christian Fletcher a couple of times. I'm particularly scared of him. But I think if I bring him the fireworks energy, then. I think he's. I think it could be a great way to bond with him, and he is a Christian. And you know what else? He really loves that name, Christian. I remember there's a, a, a photographer uh, that I sh- won't name that became a Christian, and I met him before uh, he became someone that we don't name. And he told me this story of meeting Christian Fletcher one time, and he was trying to talk Christian Fletcher into becoming a Christian. And Christian, he goes, your name's Christian. You're, you should body the Christian values and find the way with Jesus. And Christian's response was, whatever, I'm going to, I'm going to hell. ACDC is going to be playing there every day. It's going to be an amazing party. Like, like fuck you, fuck you and you're Christian. Like, heaven bullshit. It sounds boring. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I, I love that penance. I can't wait to meet Christian Fletcher again and, and do some fireworks. I mean, he does, he does seem like the type where if you get in front of him with fireworks, it's job done. Like, he's not going to say no to lighting off fireworks, right? So it's, it's only a matter of getting the fireworks and getting in his presence, and then you're on. Um, I mean, he'll probably yeah. have fireworks on him, I'm sure. That's the sort of guy he is. He lives it's pretty, fast It's pretty loud. much just finding him. It's pretty much just finding him. <laughs> Thanks, Buck. Please send your surf sins in. Danny at stabmag.com. Buck at stabmag.com. And now it's time for Stab Cusp with Stacey and Mike. And welcome back to the Stab Cusp. Stacey, I believe a congratulations are in order for both of us. I don't even want to take this one solo because I think technically uh, we both won because our females placed one and two in this event. That is huge for our program. <laughs> scraping in any kind of tiny bit of credibility we're trying to aim for I think we, we might have got it so yeah that was um, exciting to watch and I must say a little surprised to see that um, Carissa didn't win um, but very stoked and 
pretty pumped to see those two young women get the jump on the five-time world champ, uh, you know, freshly qualifying for the tour. That's going to do heaps of their confidence. Yeah, over the pre-goat. I'm going to start calling Carissa the pre-goat, I decided, because she will surpass Steph Gilmore and Lane Beachley's seven world titles. Um, incredibly impressive performances by 16-year-old Betty Lucicura Johnson, who uh, secured the win and qualification at Haleiwa. And Gabrielle O'Brien, um, also Hawaiian, also a teenager. And her third second place uh, finish on the Challenger Series in four events, which is incredible, but also probably a little bit heartbreaking for her in a way, right? 100%. It reminds me of sort of when Leo qualified. I think he had four seconds in four six thousands. So I definitely think she would be pretty excited for the, the World Tour season to, to get started and hopefully lift up the big trophy. Yeah, well, she did get the win on the overall leaderboard for the season. So congrats to her on that. She'll have a pretty good seed going into next year. But man, Betty Lou. Um, I mean, I hate to say I told you so, but I know that you probably felt the same way I did. Like her surfing out there is just incredible. Definitely. I think it's cool to see someone show that much potential on their Instagram and then convert it into a contest win. That That for her has got to feel... Amazing. Yeah, and she just like I mean, not only is her surfing incredible, like I can still picture a few of her turns from this event, but her strategy, I mean, she looked more mature out there than anyone, even than Carissa. Like she just she went out there with a game plan. You could just see it. Like she's like, I know which wave I'm going for. I'm gonna sit there until it comes. I'm gonna go and I'm gonna hit the lip as hard as I can. And she never seemed to pick a wrong wave. Um, which for, I mean, it's easy to have a, you know, a coach tell you to do what to do out there, but as a 16 year old with all that weight on your shoulders to go out there and perform at that level and make those smart decisions, I think this girl is going to go really, really, really far in surfing. Yeah, I think so too. Um, there's something about Hawaiians competing in Hawaii. They have a certain level of, uh, confidence and extra comfortability that, you you rarely see around the world, I think, with other people in their local hotspots. Uh, maybe minus Kano Igarashi and Brett Simpson, but it's so good to see when it all clicks. And it definitely um, you notice some of the women looked a bit young, and then some of the women, even though Betty Lou's only sixteen, she looks so mature and a deserved yeah, winner. Yeah, and and on that point, um, I want to just go over the whole qualifiers list for the women. So we have Gabrielle O'Brien; she'll be a rookie on tour. Brisa Hennessy is getting back on tour. Betty Lou Sakura Johnson, obviously a rookie. Katie Simmers, former Lady Bird, also qualified. Um, I guess we still need to see if she is going to take that spot, but I think it, it, I haven't heard anything in the negative, so I'd have to assume the positive. Uh, we got India Robinson, Australian, also a rookie. Um, Carissa Moore took the sixth spot, but that doesn't matter. She's a double qualifier. So the seventh and final qualifying spot goes to Luana Silva, another Hawaiian, another rookie, another teenager. So we're seeing um, a lot of youth in this group, and we're seeing a lot of power in this group. That was the, the real big takeaway for me when I look at this list of women is that they all surf with a lot, a lot of power. Um, and like, I mean, uh, India Robinson, I didn't know much about her until this year, but her turns at Haleiwa were massive. Um, same for Gabrielle O'Brien, obviously Betty Lou, Luana Silva packs a big punch. And um, Katie Simmers is probably, you know, maybe the most light-footed of this group, but her technique is so good that she generates a ton of power just by like basically putting her body in the right positions. 
Yeah, definitely. And I think that's one thing that you need going on to the Women's World Tour. There's a certain prerequisite of power that you need to possess uh, because, you know, they're going to go straight into heats against surfers like Courtney Conalog, Tyler Wright, Carissa Moore, who they've just been surfing against. And you notice the difference. Um, so it'd be cool to see if they can continue that once they, once they get onto the big stage and surf their first event. Yeah, and I did want to bring uh, one thing up, and I wanted to get your thoughts on it. Um, we actually had a tie at the cut line between Molly Picklum and Luana Silva, and um, the WSL isn't admitting this officially, but I heard that they actually gave Luana the tiebreaker because Molly decided to wear a short-arm full suit in Hawaii. Um, what are your thoughts on this? Um, was it a short-arm full suit or just leggings? It looked like a short-arm full suit to me, but we'll have to go and check the replay on that one, I guess. Well, that might explain Rio Waida's poor form through the QS uh, this season because he was wearing a short-arm in Bali uh, through the year to get used to surfing in cold water. So maybe that was Molly's theory as well. I'm not too sure. Yeah, well, Molly is a great young surfer, and we will see her on the tour one day, I'm sure of it. But, um, yeah, she might just have to choose a little bit more wisely when it comes to her uh, surfing apparel on the islands. You think that affected her performance? I think it affected the judge's mindset. I think that, uh, you know, it clearly just looked like she thought she was back in Sydney or something, and um, that's just not going to fly on the (laughs) aisle. Yeah, that was a tough one for Molly. Uh, There was so many tie-break possibilities for the women. Um, Arguably a more exciting finish to their season than the men. It was super tight with basically everyone that was trying to qualify ending up in the semifinals. So... um, yeah, a very, very exciting finish there for Luana Silva and yeah, commiserations to Molly, but I, I have no doubt that she will make the tour in the near future. Um, so yeah, on the mend, what the hell happened? There was a massacre. Yeah, it, there was a bloodbath between 15 and 30, wasn't there? But there was still a couple of uh, very, very solid surfers left in there that were coming for your boy, Carlos Munoz. Tell me how you, your heart rate was through that event. Could you even uh, watch? Well... No, I couldn't. Um, I definitely couldn't watch Carlos because he lost in his first heat in what I'm saying might be the worst heat ever surfed. Um, He started off with a good wave and then basically proceeded to take off on bad wave after bad wave where Haliva, as we know, is a spot where there's pretty much one strategy and it's to not go on the first wave of the set. And he kept going on the first wave of not even necessarily sets, just little waves that happened to pop up. Uh, and then he broke his board, and then he got an interference. And my heart broke. And just looking at the rest of the event, I was like, oh, man, is he really going to be able to hold on to this slot? You know, going in our last episode, you, uh, I think, guessed that there would be two people that swapped in the current cut line, and I said there would be three. Um, there was some weird number thing where Jacko Baker also lost but still jumped ahead of Carlos so he went down a slot and I was like oh no oh no oh no and then um yeah the the like you said that 15 to 30 group just started getting picked off one by one by one until it was uh basically just Kalani Ball last man standing and um I texted our little podcast group chat that I would not surf for my entire stint in Hawaii this year if Kalani won the event um, because at that point I already knew John John was in the final, so I, I figured that was pretty safe. But um, fortunately for me and for Carlos and for Costa Rica, um, that didn't happen. So congratulations, Carlos Munoz, holding on despite 
probably a performance that he <laughs> will not want to think about again when he goes on to the CT next year. I was cheering for Kalani Ball aggressively hard there uh, once you threw that into the text. I was cheering for him anyway, but uh, once I saw that, I thought, oh, there's a bit of extra blood for him. But uh, that was crazy how Carlos hung on. Kind of reminded me a little bit of uh, his heat reminded me a bit of uh, when Morgan Sibillic dropped in on Stewie Kennedy for the last spot on the tour in 2019. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I think that you and I both sort of saw that the totals were going to remain pretty low because crew to start knocking each other out or, 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 you know, good Hawaiian surfers or wild cards start doing the damage for other people. And, you know, Kalani Ball was one of those surfers who he had an opportunity himself to qualify. He would have needed an absolutely massive result to, to do that. But in the meantime, he was surfing the smartest heats uh, and, and picking the best waves and, and surfing really well. And he, he did a lot for the group of Aussies that qualified. And I think, you know, Carlos and uh, Jacko Baker can probably thank him. Yeah, so I guess while we're on that, let's go through a little rundown of who exactly qualified on the men's side. And remember, we have uh, 12 slots this year, and there were three double qualifiers, so it goes all the way down to 15 right now. So uh, first on the Challenger Series would be Kanoa Igarashi, second, Zeke Lau, third, Liam O'Brien. He's going to be a rookie. Fourth, Connor O'Leary. Fifth, Griffin Colapinto, double qualifier. Sixth, Jake Marshall, also a rookie. Um, seventh, Jack Robinson, double qualifier. Eighth, Callum Robson, he'll be a rookie. Ninth, Samuel Poupeau, rookie. Tenth, Nat Young. Eleventh, Emai Kalani Devault, rookie. Twelfth, Luca Messinas, rookie. Uh, also tied for 12th, Joao Chianca, rookie, 14th, Jacko Baker, and 15th, final slot, Carlos Munoz. So that is, uh, first of all, fair few Aussies, so good on you. And also, the most rookies that we're seeing come onto the tour in as long as I can remember. So many fresh faces. It's going to be amazing to watch, particularly as an Australian. I did see a very funny comment on Instagram this morning that if you're an Aussie on tour that came through the QS, your name has to start with O or Rob. <laughs> or Baker. Uh, but yeah, no, very, very um, classic cast of uh, surfers there and such variety. Holy moly, there's some, uh, some crazy talent in there. I'd just like to make a special note for Samuel Pupo's performance, like coming from outside the cut to then jump into that qualifying position. That's... To do that in Hawaii is so hard, and uh, for him to do that, unfortunately, knocking out Aussie Geordie Lawler on the way, but for him, he's going to take so much confidence out of that, and uh, I think a really cool story there was that he's been surfing his dad's boards for the last sort of 18 months. Um, he had a deal with uh, a, a few of the bigger brands through COVID, but getting boards down to Brazil was really tricky, and, and um, Miguel and Sam's dad, Wagner's a, a quality shaper and a quality surfer, and I just think that's sick. Like for a young fella like Sam to qualify, super talent, he could ride anyone's boards, but he's riding his dad's boards and he just qualified for the world tour. Like that's pretty sick. Wow. So that means that there are two surfers at least, or I guess, I don't know if Miguel does it as well, but do you know who the other surfer on the CT who rides his dad's boards is? It would have to be one and only Geordie Smith. That's right. Can't get one by you. God damn it, Stace. Um, and but no, yeah, Miguel doesn't. Know. No, Miguel flirts with the Sharp Eye program. 
Um, but That's right. Yeah. Uh, he definitely has some of his dad's boards with him, but I think in most of his heats, he, he would ride sharp eyes. Cool. So, yeah, as we kind of mentioned before, Samuel was the only surfer that went from below the cut line, or technically he was kind of on the cut line because he was, I think, tied with Jordy, but Jordy had the nod or whatever. But, yeah, he was the only surfer to make the jump from outside of the cut line to in, which is pretty crazy like i mean that there were a lot of points on the line at that event and to not see any shakeups uh at least outside of that cut line pretty interesting because there were a lot of a lot of people moved around within the top 15 like it looks way different now than absolutely like e michelani devault unfortunately you know that's a bit disappointing for him his seed now is really tough i think he was third going into halieva now he's 11th so you're right there was a big movement but it wasn't from outside it was from within the, the within uh you know the comfortable place of being inside that top 12 so um nuts but you couldn't say the same about the women though i think uh there was some big swap ups there which we we kind of predicted yeah, that's right. I think we um, we we said there might be three people that move in, and I think there was. Let's see, Betty Lou for sure. Uh, Luana Silva made the jump, so I guess there were two people that made it inside from out. Um, unfortunately, we didn't see Coco Ho bring it home. I was really rooting for her. Um, and you know, another name that I really was impressed by in this event was Alyssa Spencer. She's a young American and just a really sharp competitor and a really great backside. And she just looked awesome out there, I thought. Yeah, for sure. Um, She's had a really, really consistent year and uh, certainly looks like she's sort of similar to Molly. You know, they look like they're busting at the door to get on the tour and it'll just be a matter of time before they do. And um, she'd be taking a lot of confidence out of that event. Um, First time surfing, you know, for all the women, or not all, but most of the women uh, at Halieva. And for her to get a semi-final finish, Beating Carissa Moore along the way, um, that's got to feel good. Yep. And um, just a reminder that next year on tour, your seed matters even more than usual because there's going to be a mid-year cut. There's a really big emphasis on those first five events. And I think we'll do a separate episode where we kind of break down the rookie class more in depth and kind of what their chances are. Um, But for now, we should just be celebrating them. Congratulations, everyone who made it. You are on the championship tour. And looking forward to pipeline. (laughs) Um, So we did get a a DM from somebody, Stace, who asked us a question that I thought was interesting. And it was basically for all the people who didn't make the cut but were close to it, say, you know, for the men, maybe the 16 to 25 range or whatever, and for the women, the... um, 7 to 15 range, do those surfers have to surf the QS, which remember now is the lowest tier of the qualifying series, um, to get into next year's Challenger Series events? And we went back and forth on this a little bit. You heard one thing from your side of the pond. I also talked to somebody on my side of the pond, and they said that there are going to be, um, it sounds like, certain people who do not have to surf the QS to get onto the CS next year. So say you're Jordy Lawler, who finished 16th, just below the cut line. I don't believe he's going to have to surf all those low-level Australasia events just to get into the Challenger Series next year. It sounds like he's going to be able to take basically half the year off, what do whatever he wants to do, uh, make some film parts, go travel, if 
Australians are allowed to travel. Um, so he's not going to have to worry about that. But people further down the rankings will have to compete in their regional events to make it onto the Challenger Series again. Correct. Can you tell me, has America got any planned? Because you had one recently. I know Michael Dunphy got second. I think Alyssa Spencer won. They look like they're sweet. Um, but is there even going to be any more events for America? Uh, you know, Australia has about seven or eight a lot of 1,000s, a couple of 3,000s, and then a couple of 5,000s. So there's going to be plenty of opportunity for um, you know Australian surfers, particularly on the East Coast. Um, you've got to be specific these days because travel between the East and the West is not as easy as it used to be. Uh, but there will be a lot of events. So I'm looking at the calendar right now, and I don't see any event scheduled for the 2022 men's qualifying series. Uh, so I think that the WSL has just not quite updated their whole thing yet. I'm sure there will be some events in the U.S. or in the Americas, it may be. Um, but we'll have to wait and see. But what I do know is that there is a pipeline event coming up, and it is not the Pipe Masters. Well, actually, technically, the CT event isn't the Pipe Masters either, but this is not even the CT event. This is a 1,000 QS event, regional Hawaiian event, and there's a fair number of CT surfers in this event on both the men's and women's side of the draw and some big names as well. Um, so what are your thoughts? Is this something that you can justify for the CT surfers to get practice out there, or should they leave it to the kind of younger local surfers who need to get some points to get their Challenger Series rank up for the end of the year? My position with the Challenger Series and CT surfers doing them is the opposite to what I think about this. So CT surfers doing the challenges for me is, that's fair game because they're the guys you're going to go and beat. You're going to have to beat them at some point, so why not beat them now? But with the regional events, where they're essentially designed for the surfers who are, you know, juniors coming out of the junior program and onto the QS, and doing these events for them is the only chance they get, really. Uh, to have five or six CT surfers doing it for me just seems counterproductive. And with only one event in the Hawaii Tahiti Nui region, I'd you know, there'll be five or six local girls or, and, and men that, uh, women and men that miss out on that. And I, I don't know, you, you got to draw the line somewhere. So I think it's fucked. What do you reckon? I mean, when you look at this list and you see names like John Florence and Seth Moniz on there for the men, those guys can go out there any day and get any wave they want. So I don't think that they can pull the, I need the practice card. Whereas for the women, it's just not quite the same. They don't get the same amount of reps out there. They don't have the same kind of priority status in the lineups. So any chance that they can have to surf pipeline with as few people as possible out in the lineup, I think they should take it. Um, it is a little bit unfortunate for the younger girls and women out there who would, in theory, get these spots. But I also think that this brings a lot more elevation to the event and it'll bring more eyeballs. So for the young women who do do well, um, it'll be a great part of exposure for them. So, yeah, I think it's I think it's fine, especially when you look at someone like uh, Katie Simmers, who has never surfed in any sort of event out there. Um, Gabrielle O'Brien, I'm not sure if she has. Luana Silva, you know, these are really, really young girls. So I think it's fine for them to do it. But, yeah, I, I don't think John John needs to be surfing in a 1,000 event at Pipeline. 
the hard thing with pipeline is that there is no replica for pipeline. You know, if you want to surf J Bay and get better out there when it's big and bombing, you could try to get down to Winky Pop or Rincon or, you know, other waves that are long and roping and stuff like that. But the pipeline, there's only one pipeline. So I, I completely agree with what you're saying. And, and the other side of it is that um, on top of the women getting the practice that they want and need is that it also gives them a platform to show the world and maybe the other pipeline surfers who generally get most of the waves that they are capable of doing it. Like if you see Carissa Moore just like pegging tube after tube after tube in an event, next time you see her out in the water out there, you're more likely to be like, oh, she's for sure going to go. She's going to make it. Like I don't even need to like do this weird like aggressive like paddle next to her thing. You know what I mean? Because that, that is kind of what it feels like sometimes is like people are like, oh, like is she actually going to go sort of thing? Like just having been out at Pipeline and, and witnessed some of this firsthand. And when a woman like say like a Moana Jones makes a really concerted effort and you know for a fact that she's going to go and most likely is going to make it, everybody backs out and basically the water parts for her. So uh, the more women that have a chance to show their skills out there as well could also change the way that that lineup functions. Yeah, but Moana Jones didn't need a contest to go and do that. And that's my point. And I have a lot of respect for her and a lot of women around the world that have that approach. That's my only point to that. Yeah, fair call. I mean, yeah, same with uh, Vahine Fierro, who also was close to qualifying this year, but she out at um, Chopu, like, she gets incredible waves, and I'm sure that she's earned every one of them. So I feel a bit bad because um, we just kind of talked bad on John John, and we didn't even celebrate his incredible victory at Haleiwa yet. So congratulations, John Florence. Uh, another incredible comeback career-wise. Um, of course, we knew that he still had it in him there was no doubt about that but to see him dominate the event like that was like holy shit you, you just i don't know it's i don't know how we th- we think we forget when he gets injured that he's the best surfer in the world but he is just the best surfer in the world right yeah i uh, i don't mind surf waves the way that he actually surfs them that's just ridiculous the shit that he's doing yeah so let's talk about the 10 um what's your take is that wave a 10 in that lineup in those conditions every day of the week it's the easiest 10 i've ever seen all right to give a score to give a score i mean like you know as soon as didn't even need a replay <laughs> that's okay lock, I like lock that. it in i'm not i don't need my score to get checked i'm locking that one in fair enough so what do you say to the people who uh perhaps like myself would say that that wave surfed as well as it was didn't have 10 potential in it when when waves twice as big and twice as you know punchy exist out there and you could in theory do similar surfing on those bigger more powerful waves in what year like how long are you waiting for that wave where is it show me where it is well he got a couple last year out there that were pretty good granted it was a little bit bigger exactly it was last year like that's just a typical typical uh outlook of someone who's just holds too much value over perfection like a 10 doesn't have to be perfect it's a 10 on the day and that was a 10 on that day every day of the fucking year four different maneuvers he didn't pump his board once like that was like a snowboard line it literally was he didn't even hop yeah i was gonna ask you what was your favorite part but then i realized it was kind of all just one fluid motion like (laughs) it was all one maneuver (laughs) 
You know what my favourite part was? Was actually probably the, the paddle in pop up as like basic and stupid as that sounds. But you see how hard he paddled into that wave and how much he drove off his first bottom turn. That's what set that whole ride up. So I think that's probably the only thing that I could ever relate to on that wave. So that was my favourite part. I liked the barrel because it was, I mean, John John is so incredible at getting barreled and he's had so many incredible barrels that when I watch that, my mind, like if I'm to put myself in his mind, I don't even think he's thinking about like, oh, I'm going to get barreled here. He's like, what is the easiest path to get to that air section? And the only obvious answer was to like pull into a section that didn't even really look like it was going to do anything. And then, I mean, it wasn't like an incredible barrel, but it was just the way that he merged it between those two crazy, like the turn into the air. And I swear it was just like, oh, that's just the way that you go to get to what you want to do next. And it just so happened to be a throaty little tube. It was next level. That's just instinctive surfing at its absolute highest, highest level. But yeah, you're the 9.8. Is that what you're trying to tell me? Yeah, I'm the 9.8. Sorry. <laughs> Brother, man, come on. Bigger, bigger doesn't mean better. <laughs> oh, is that what your wife tells you? <laughs> Every day, baby. <laughs> um, no, seriously, uh, the, uh, it just that was incredible. That was one of those waves that, I mean, we've seen it already so many times on Instagram, but you watch it every time still. And it's not like this flash in the pan, like a giant gabier at um, Meriwether, right? Which was incredible. But that just feels like a, a singular moment where everything happened to click. The mastery involved in what John did on that wave, to me, is at a higher level, even though there wasn't one single maneuver that had as much impact. Um, that's like surfing just epitomized right there. That is like true high performance. Surfing. Yeah, I agree. Combination of major maneuvers. Then it did for me. It didn't get any better than that. Like I, I, I really don't see some of the scores in that heat being justified once a wave like that gets ridden. Like your seven six sevens and your seven three threes. It's just not the same sport. Um, and a deserved winner. Thank God. Yep. And uh, fairly terrifying for just about anybody that has to compete against John John in the near future. Um, so. What else do we got? I think that's pretty much it. I, I need to put my hand up and say that my two picks for the win on the men's side, um, they felt the qualifier pressure, I think, or the, or the event pressure. And I think that was, that was one thing that Hawaii definitely brings out, and there's a lot to learn for, for some people. Like Jacko Baker, he would have had some sleepless nights. Um, I'm glad he made it through in the end, but I know he'll reflect on his performance and know he probably left a little bit in the tank. And then, um, yeah, you definitely can see it in, in the surfers through the screen sometimes, who, who's on the front foot and who's ready for war and then who else is just absolutely petrified. And I think that that's the best thing about going to Hawaii and having the closing event of the year in Hawaii. You, you're watching people fighting for their careers and there's yeah, no better spot to do it. Yeah, I, uh, I think Haleiwa, I mean... Sunset was also great, but yeah, Haleiwa is just such a fun wave to watch. Like, um, oh, sorry. There is one more person that I really want to talk about, and that is Sheon Crawford, 16-year-old Hawaiian kid who, as they told it on the webcast, had just flown back from winning a national title over in California, didn't think he was going to get into the event, got a wild card slot, and went all the way to the quarters. And... Um, Kind of like what we were talking about with the the young women, he just had 
an incredible amount of power for a young kid. He didn't look like a little kid out there. I was baffled to hear that he was 16. He was so polished, like wave selection and turn selection. He he looked like a seasoned pro. Uh, speak Until he got a good wave and you saw his little giddy kid claims. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. I'm going to let that fly. Uh, so I guess that's it for Haliva and for the Challenger Series season. Um, for me, I thought... It was actually a huge success. I really enjoy the new format that the WSL has thus far. And I've said it before, the four-event thing made it really, really fun. I don't know if they need a 10-event season for the Challenger Series. Like, it is so good when it's punchy like this. Um, Obviously, they have their own interests to look after, and I'm sure a lot of the surfers feel like more opportunities would be better. But from a viewing standpoint, feeling like every heat matters, it just makes you so much more invested. And I really enjoyed our time. Um, but still, looking forward to the seat. I think you just gave the WSL Challenger Series their new slogan, every heat matters. And I'd have to agree, it was sick. And I can't wait for the CT to start. <laughs> All right, so it looks like um, we're not going to have too much WSL to chat about in the near future. But we do have a bit of Vans Triple Crown to cover. Um, it's obviously a little bit different this year. They're doing it digital again. And it's not going to be man-on-man heats or anything, but there will be some things to talk about in the coming weeks and months in regards to who is looking best out in Hawaii. So I look forward to that. I look forward to having a full rookie breakdown in the near future as well. And then, uh, yeah, before we know it, we'll be back at Pipeline. Can't wait, Mikey. Do we need to announce your um, co-hosting of The Drop next week just to give um, the listeners a little something to look forward to? Oh, yeah. I was just going to put on an Australian accent and I didn't think anybody would even know the difference. But uh, yeah, I guess if you want to if you want to reveal it, that's fine. I'm, I'm going to be Danny Johnson next week. Um, Danny's going on holiday. Um, I don't know where, but I hope he has a great time. And yeah, I'm going to fill in on that show and then we'll see if we bring the cusp back. Um, depends on kind of what's going on in the surf world. But if I don't talk to you, Stace, uh, that's because I have trimmed my hair in the front and uh, I'm going to be wearing a suit instead of no shirt. Is that a promotion or a demotion? I'm not too sure. (laughs) Uh, We love you, Danny. And uh, that is it for this week's edition of the Stab Cusp. Over and out. Sorry, Mikey. I I know I said I'd be away next week, but I'm actually going to still be here. I probably should have told you that, but I'll be away the week after those for a couple of weeks and the podcast will be all yours. You'll be laughing away at Buck and his whimsical jokes and I'll probably just be listening on like a jealous ex-lover, but not next week. I'll be back next week and we'll see you then. Thanks for listening. And please keep the surf scenes coming either via mine or Buck's email. They're both in the episode description. And uh, yeah, see you then. So yeah, the Challenger Series is a wrap. Our first ever one. It was a good time. We ended with some island boys, smiling girls. And it's, that's just where we're at. Yeah. The island boys, the island boys are back, by the way. Yeah, I know. know I saw that. You sent that through. I was... Just when you think the internet is going to eat up someone, a sensation like that, and then spit them out into the forever land of the forgotten, they're, they're, they're hovering around, Buck. 
No, I, I think Danny, I'm pretty sure what happened is that has occurred. I think I think the internet's <laughs> done with them and we're just really late to it. Oh, it's just and it's just still they're just it's just you that's still keeping them alive. <laughs> I think it's still me and now you just for you're just fully implied at this point. But no, I even saw a thing where they tried to perform. Like somebody tried to book them for like a live night thing and they just got booed off the stage like oh, immediately. Like no. <laughs> the rest of the world is done. But I do think like they did another one of those things for, for Kandui Villas or Kandui Resort, I can't remember. Kandua Villas in the Mantoai Islands is the best surfer resort in the world. Surrounded by the best waves in the entire world. Located directly in front of the real Kandai. Merry Christmas and happy holidays from the Kandu Villas and the Island Boys, yeah. Ooh, yeah, yeah, cause we- I have this theory now that like, surfing is just gonna keep them alive. Like the rest of the world is just done and they're just gonna keep on doing cameos for <laughs> just surf shops and, and surf resorts and we're just eventually they're gonna have to just become a part of surfing because I won't let them go Yeah, I don't think this podcast should let them go as long as people keep doing cameos with them I'm gonna keep talking about them Yeah. Um, I apologize to anybody who might have to hear it again because it's like an annoying shitty song that can easily get stuck in your head so sorry but if you're listening to this podcast it's probably gonna keep happening as long as, as random people within the surf world keep getting the new cameos so I'm just trying to be honest with you. <laughs> I just love the pronunciation of Kandui. And, and also the, the amount of effort they're putting in at this point. The first time we saw them do a cameo, it was, it was, a, it was a cover of Island Boys with a remix. This one where they're just, they're just kind of <laughs> they're barely putting any effort in. There was zero melodic effort on their behalf. But, you know, they, they got it done and... and yeah, they're, they're surfings now. We own them. They're, please, please keep keep reaching out to them for cameos. Yeah. Should we yeah. get – how much is a cameo? Should we get one for the drop? I think we should. A new theme, a a new theme song? to ourselves. Yes, a new theme song. <laughs> See, we're going to keep them alive, man. We're going to be – I'm sure we're the only people on this planet that are still talking about these guys. Oh, okay. And everybody else is just done with it and we're going to keep it going. We're getting a theme song. I think we have to. All right. Well, <laughs> let, we might have to crowdsource it. I don't know. Oh, actually, their price, their demand on Cameo has probably dipped significantly. So it might be quite accessible. It might be just a couple of dollars. But either way, we'll look into that and we will, we will, look, for, we will look for a new theme song.